Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. I'm glad that you're tuning in today as we go through our series on easy mistakes. We're at part five, and today we're going to be talking about the life of Peter. He's a really interesting person in the Bible, one of my favorite characters I relate to a lot. We're going to jump in and start off with the very first thing which we can all relate to is that he has so many misunderstood strengths. Let me tell you something. Your strengths are often the same attributes that get you into trouble. Your strengths are often your attributes that get you into trouble. When I think about my daughter, Jules, she gets into trouble a lot because she just, she just won't give up. She is the most relentless little two-year-old I've ever known in my life. And it can really get under our skin when she's just not listening. And when I put her to sleep sometimes, I'm thinking, man, this was a crazy day. And I think about all the things that made it exceptionally crazy through her actions is because oftentimes she just won't give up. She can get into trouble. She could go to timeout, whatever, and she'll just go right back at it. And she has a relentlessness to her. And I have to remind myself and I pray to God, God, I know that right now this is getting her into trouble and it can be a headache, but she is just tapping into one of the greatest strengths she'll have in her life, relentlessness. And so let's look at Peter when it comes to his misunderstood strengths. Now, one of, uh, I feel like just to be upfront, we're going to look at scripture specifically, but for Peter, he's always the first to speak, the first to act. And there's times where it works out great for him and other times where it makes him look like, like, man, just keep your mouth shut. Why'd you have to say anything? The first one is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. It says, Now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, But who do you yourselves say that I am? Now at this moment, there's this awkward silence. People, not, the disciples not really knowing what to say. And it says, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is one of the most pivotal moments for Peter. Because even right after this, this is where Jesus gives this whole exhortation to, to Peter. Saying, your name is no longer Simon, it is Peter. Uh, Simon means stick, but Peter means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And so he's... He just gives this huge affirmation of Peter, and he's talking about that the cornerstone of Jesus being the Messiah, that that is what he's building the church on. And so in this moment, it was great for Peter. While others were silent, Peter spoke up. It's similar to how it was at Pentecost. Well, when all these people came saying, what the heck is all of this noise? What's going on? Peter was the one that spoke up. Even when people were mocking the, the move of God that was happening, saying these people are just drunk, it was Peter that went beyond any type of embarrassment, and he spoke up while others stayed silent. 
So it's an amazing hand clap for Peter. Now here's another moment at the transfiguration, this, uh, this, this crazy incident happens. It, it's like a miraculous moment. It says, six days later, we're reading in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and the brother John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter responded and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for, for that we are here. If you want, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. Now in this moment, they were seeing something so glorious and beautiful. And rather than just taking the moment in, Peter is like, well, maybe someone needs to say something. And so he spouts off this just like weird suggestion and not really comprehending what he's seeing, he spoke anyway. And so this is a moment for Peter where his big mouth gets him in trouble to where he looks foolish. And uh, to where God the Father speaks and says, uh, in so many words, shut up and listen to him. <laughs> you don't always have to say something when you're seeing something. Uh, when you're seeing something glorious or beautiful or miraculous. When you're seeing the work of God, a move of God, you don't always have to speak. Sometimes you can just be still and see God move. And in this moment, it, it shows how Peter, even when he didn't know what he was talking about, would speak up anyway. And that is a dangerous place to be for a lot of us where we know that we don't know, but we act like what we we act like we know anyway. I totally relate to that plenty of times, especially when I was younger, of trying to just being so afraid to be wrong or not knowing the answer, but speaking on it anyway, because I didn't want to not say something. Or being in a room and it being quiet and always being the first one to raise my hand, even though I didn't have anything necessarily meaningful to say, but I just felt like someone should say something, so it might as well be me. See, those are moments where I resonate with Peter, and there's times where, yes, speaking up at the right moment can be a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it is an impact and powerful moment. But there's other times where we need to use discretion and hold back because not we are not always the ones that need to say something. Another thing for Peter is that he was also the first one to act. I, I think the funniest moment, which, you know, I guess it doesn't have to be that funny, but in Luke chapter 22, verses 48 through 51, when Jesus was being betrayed by Judas and he was about to be taken away by soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says this, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, who is Peter, struck the slave of a high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded and said, Stop! No more of this! And he touched his ear and healed him. The reason I say that this part is funny is because before they even realize what is fully going on, Peter just whips out his swords like, ah, and just like before anyone can even finish talking and he was ready to just act. And because he acted without fully thinking about it or without even fully getting 
instruction from Jesus. Like Jesus was in the middle of talking and Jesus and Peter just whips out his sword and slashes off someone's ear. And notice how it even says that he's uh, cut off the ear of the slave to the high priest. And I think about this guy, it's like out of all the people that should get their ears cut off, he gets like the most, you know, the guy that just happened to be there. Like he has to be there. He's a slave. He was sent. He didn't really have a choice. He's just there because he has to be there. Out of all the people he could have slashed the ears off of, like the worst guy. And Jesus is like, whoa, dude, calm down. Like he's not even supposed to be here right now. And, and so it's a moment where we can resonate with Peter all the times we felt like uh, just acting on something or better yet, reacting out of our emotion. And those reactionary moments often get us in trouble to where we spout off. We, we do something that we regret later, you know, especially as parents. I mean, how many times have we reacted without even fully getting the story from our kids without fully understanding what's happening in the situation? And we react and later we're like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. You know, but a moment for Peter where those, those quick action moments was good is all the times he's just jumping in the water to get to Jesus. You know, there's a moment where the moment where he walked on water in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, they all think that Jesus is a ghost on the water. They totally have no grasp of what is really going on. And Jesus just says, I'm not a ghost. It's really me. And it's like another moment where Jesus could barely finish talking. And it says this, Peter responded and said to him, Lord, if it is you command me to come out on the water. And so it's, it's like a moment where people are still trying to process what they're witnessing, but Peter is already reacting to what he's seeing. He has such a quick response time, and it is because of that quickness and readiness that he has to trust Jesus that causes him to just do this amazing thing that none of the other disciples got to experience, and that is walking on the water. And he walked out towards Jesus even before he could comprehend. And it makes so much more sense in the moments where he noticed the wind and the waves and began to sink. And it's like at that moment, he already acted so much quicker than his mind can comprehend everything else is going on. All he really saw was Jesus and he wanted to get to them. And while he was out to Jesus, he's like, holy crap, I'm on the water. <laughs> and it's like his mind took everything in later. Another moment at, in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, they hadn't seen some Jesus in some time. And they were all fishing out on a boat. And then Jesus called out to them. And at this moment, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for each trip to work and threw himself into the sea. He was about a hundred yards off from shore, but it's like another moment where the first glimpse or thought of Jesus being there, they might've even been able to get there quicker on boat, but didn't, didn't matter. He, he just wanted to get to Jesus so fast that he jumped into the water again. This time he doesn't even ask Jesus to say, command me to come and walk out on the water. He doesn't even care about that. His response time is just jumping in. And I think that's a key difference when we're looking at his quickness and the things that get him into trouble and the things that get, almost get him honored. And it is the difference between reaction and response. When we react to things, it's often the things that get us in trouble. But when we respond to things quickly, like Peter does in these moments, they're the moments 
that are truly beautiful and life-giving. It's the moments that we access great potential and amazing opportunities when others are still thinking about it. You know, um, we if we learn, no matter, you know, I know we're focusing on Peter and his specific response and reactionary moments as far as looking how we can learn from these mistakes. The, the essence of what we're trying to do from this point is understand that sometimes the things that look like mistakes for us are often just undeveloped strengths or even uh, strengths that need to be redirected. It, when I think about myself as a, as a youth, when I was a teenager, I was an extremist. I, whenever I did something, I went 100%. And when it came to the first time I did drugs, I'm gonna do drugs every day. First time I drink, I'm gonna drink all the time. First time I stole something, I'm gonna steal anything I need. Even when I don't need it, I'm gonna steal it. First time I committed crimes, first time I got into a fight, I wanted to fight all the time. It was just like this consistent extremism. But once I found Christ, I realized everything, all of that passion that was built up in me was misplaced. And once I redirected it to Christ, it was like the perfect fit. And those things that were my weaknesses before, my what looked like addictions, now look like strengths because of my extremism. Being addicted to drugs looked bad, but being addicted to Jesus makes me look like I'm awesome. It, it's completely different scope because I was able to redirect my mistakes into strengths. I hope that makes sense because it's the difference of it's the difference of being thanked and even honored for some of your strengths to things that for things that you were once scorned or got in trouble for. Let's go on to the next thing about Peter and that is his him being terrified of rejection. The fear of rejection will cause you to run away from high potential and meaningful relationships. Let me say that one more time so it can sink in. The fear of rejection Oof. will cause you to run away from high potential and meaningful relationships. For Peter, we often look at his first encounter uh, thinking that it's this in Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 4 through 5, and we're going to skip around a bit. And it, we think that it's this moment. Now when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Jesus backing up all the way into uh, Peter's boat when he was still Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon responded and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, At this point, Jesus had caused the nets to be so full they couldn't even bring them up. Peter realized that Jesus was really the Messiah. He's a miracle worker. And so at this moment, Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And, and likewise uh, were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were our partners with Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought in their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And so this powerful moment where we see Peter leaving everything behind to follow Jesus this is actually what we see in the scripture as his second encounter. The first was in John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. One of the two, uh, uh, John the Baptist, two of his disciples, 
heard John speak and followed him. One was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. So we actually see this moment before this boat miracle moment where Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. He actually met Jesus through his brother, Andrew. And it seems like Peter had nothing to do with like religion or spiritual stuff because Andrew is almost like pulling Peter along saying like, you got to see, you know, <laughs> you got to come to church with me kind of thing. And at this moment, we, uh, we actually see there must have been some sort of gap because now Peter is, when we see his second encounter, Peter is at the boats. Uh, Peter is at the boats and he has like this almost like a disdain from, for Jesus and saying like, well, master, we, it's almost like he's saying, gritting it through his teeth. Master, we worked hard all night but, and caught nothing. But if you say so, I mean, you're the Messiah. It, it's almost like you can sense the, the frustration in Peter's voice. And that fear of rejection is best seen in the moment where he says to Jesus, realizing who he really is, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, it shows really this, this moment of Peter in his heart. Go away from me. I'm a sinful person. How many times have we, or maybe we know somebody that refused to go to church because we're afraid the church is going to burn down. We're afraid that God is going to strike us with lightning. We are afraid, really, not that we, we see ourselves as you know, um, the prince of the devil, because most people think of themselves as good person. Most people think they're a good person, and yet they're so afraid to talk to God, go to church, because they're really afraid of rejection. They're afraid of being rejected, just like Peter was. And in, uh, in another moment where we see Peter's fear of rejection is in Luke chapter 22, verse 60 through 62. And this is when Peter was following Jesus at a distance as he was being led away to be crucified. And he had denied Jesus three times to be able to go into the inner chambers without, uh, without being attacked or put in shackles himself. And at this point it says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about, saying he didn't know who Jesus was. And immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitter, bitterly. So I wanted to share these two examples of how Peter is really just afraid of rejection. And what happens when we have that, that deep fear of rejection, which I think all people have, I think every person has a fear of rejection. That's why even uh, being in sales at one time in my life, being in sales is one of the hardest jobs in the world because you have to constantly face rejection every day. And it is just not a job for everybody because you have to develop some thick skin when you're facing rejection on a daily basis. And that fear of rejection is, is so heavy at times. And maybe, uh, maybe it's not rejection for you. Maybe it's Fear of disappointment, 
fear of being rejected, fear, maybe it's a fear of failure. Whatever it is, we respond to these feelings by trying to avoid it altogether. There is only there's only peace and security of a relationship when there's trust. And what happens is we get into this vicious cycle with our relationships of being afraid of rejection so much to where we, when we even get a whiff of it or we, our insecurities get the best of us and we just think that we're going to be rejected. What do we do? We run away. We isolate ourselves and push those people away, get away as far as we can. And we try to avoid the rejection altogether. This is why so many guys won't ask out the girl that they're, that they're dream girl because they're afraid of being rejected. It's why, uh, it's why so many people don't go for that job that they've been wanting, that promotion they've been wanting, or apply for that college that is their dream college because they're just afraid of being rejected. Why people don't start that business that is just burned in their heart because of fear of failure. Why people won't tell or be transparent about their weaknesses or shortcomings or addictions to people that are even close to them, fear of disappointment. And in order to conquer that, we have to really build trust in those relationships. Because what I've found is that victory happens with transparency. And all of those fears of rejection are often just rooted in our heads. When you're actually transparent with someone that you can trust, let me be clear in saying that there's times where you can be transparent with someone that you don't trust and it'll just add to the judgment, it'll add to the, the anxiety, it'll add to those feelings that are negative. But when you find somebody that you can trust and open up to them, what I've found is that the, right before the moment of telling them, you have this huge fear that if I tell them this, they're not going to want to have anything to do with me. They're going to push me so far away. They're going to think less of me. It's going to damage the relationship. But what often happens is that when you finally are transparent and speak what you're afraid to speak about, it actually bonds the relationship tighter together. You end up being closer with that person than you were before because you shared an intimate part of yourself. And the only way that we can defeat this fear of rejection is through trust and those relationships and finding great peace. There's, we can find great peace in putting our identity in God. When you know securely who you are to God, you don't have to be afraid. I love that this, this last part of this verse when Jesus, when Peter says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' response to him is, I think, the response that we all need. And that is when he says, do not fear. From now on, blank. Do not be afraid. From now on, blank. And for so many of you hearing that, you need God to finish that sentence. From now on, I am going to show you what true love is. From now on, I'm going to put you among people who care about you. From now on, from now on, from now on, you need God to just settle all those fears. Say, do not be afraid. Do not fear from now on. Let God speak to your heart on that today. Now let's go into our, our last part. And I think this is, this is where uh, it might be hard for me to get through because I identify the most with Peter in this point. And that is the thought of, 
am I good enough? Am I good enough? The need for approval, the need for approval is never satisfied by your performance, but by not needing it in the first place. The need for approval is not satisfied by your performance, never is. It is only satisfied by not needing it in the first place. Peter has a deep-rooted performance-based acceptance. His whole walk with Jesus reveals a give-and-take performance of feeling loved and admonished to feeling rejected and rebuked because of his thinking of uh, because of his thinking of needing to earn God's heart. And John chapter 21, verse 19 through 22. This is at that moment, G, uh, Peter is reunited with Jesus. He has this whole exchange of finding closure with the three times that he denied Jesus to Jesus asking him three times if he loved him. And then he explains to Peter of how one day he's going to glorify God through his death and that's being crucified. And he's going to be a martyr for Christ. So, yeah, woohoo! <laughs> Some, uh, what a great praise report Peter got. But he, he uh, honestly, he never saw himself of even being worthy to be a, a martyr. In fact, even when it came to the point of him being crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ, he requested that they crucify him upside down because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way Jesus was crucified. And so it's just all of this, all of this coming out feeling good enough. And in this point, I think it shows it the most. In John 21, 19 through 22, it says, Now he said this, indicating by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, following them. The one who also had leaned back on his chest at the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So Peter, upon seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? What he's doing in this moment is he's comparing himself to John. He's looking at all that he can do and seeing if John is going to do something greater or not. He's comparing himself. And Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. His last exchange with Jesus in which he was asked if he loved Jesus and then Peter asked if John would be crucified too. Jesus's response assures him that he doesn't have to compare himself to others. He's saying, what does it matter what happens to John? I've called you to this. He's trying to show him that there's nothing that John could do to earn something greater, and there's nothing you can do to earn something greater when it comes to God's heart. And we need to stop looking at others for our sense of approval. See, one way that we look for approval is by comparing ourselves. We compare ourselves consistently to others on social media, on people's stories. Even when we go to other churches, we're looking around and seeing the way other people act or the way other people dress, how pretty they look that day, how ugly they look that day. We compare ourselves in a, for a sense of approval, thinking, well, do I look better than them? then I'm, I'm approved. Am I smarter than them? Then I'm approved. Can I lift more than them? Then I'm approved. We're consistently, constantly looking for approval through comparison. And I, I pray that 
in in this message today that all of these things that we're going through that these truly would just break away from our hearts and that we would see we don't have to compare we don't have to try to earn God's love we can redirect our strengths and and truly that uh, that we can look at this and just see that God is calling us to such a deeper place where we don't have to have a fear of being rejected. I think about so many times, uh, so many times I've invited people to church and the, these fears of being rejected and not being good enough, not feeling worthy is what has stopped them from having the best connection to God they could ever have, the best, best reassurance they could have in Christ. And I pray that today that this would just just be obliterated for us and that we would see that even just like for Peter, he didn't need to feel that way and neither did we. That God is just calling you to walk with him. And, and I want to look for a moment. John in this story is almost like a polar com, uh, opposite of Peter because while Peter is constantly looking at himself to be approved of by his works, John stopped looking at himself as how much he loved God, but found his identity in how much he is loved by God. All throughout the book of John, John identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He found so much peace and closure in his identity once he realized that it's about, not about how much he loved God, but about how much God loved him. And I pray that you find that today. And knowing that God loves you, and that is a truth that will not change no matter how good you are or how bad you are. God loves you, and that's going to stay the same. So please, today, if you're having it moved on your heart, I pray that you would have a moment of exchange with Jesus and say, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop with all the worry, with all the thoughts, with all, the, all of these distractions that have kept me from you. And just tell Jesus, I want to see myself the way you see me. And that's forgiven, that's loved, that's worthy, that is approved, that is accepted, that is more than enough to do all that God has called you to do. I really believe that God wants you to have that moment today. Let's stop repeating the same mistakes over and over of of being afraid of being rejected, not being enough. And let's redirect those things that get us into trouble and see how are they actually our strengths. If you had it on your heart to really have this moment with Jesus to where you just go all in and have a 100% change moment, a choice moment, you say, God, I'm yours. I want you to just know that in the book of Romans, it says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead for the world's sins, Surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is that if you just talk to God, acknowledge what he's given us and be authentic about it in your conversation with him, surely you shall be saved. Talk to God today. You don't even need me to lead you through it. You can talk to him yourself. I, I pray that if you have this moment, we really would love to connect with you as a church. That it is, it is such an amazing point to have Jesus in your heart and your life complete change. I am not even recognizable to the kind of person I used to be before I found Jesus. But there is so much strength, peace, joy, and community 
and connection. And that's the purpose of the church, community and connection. And so if you have not been connected to a church before, and especially if you're hearing this message today and you're making a decision for Christ for the first time, or maybe you're just coming back to Christ, please, we'd love to be your church family. We'd love to connect with you and walk with you on this journey. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. And so it helps so much to sharpen each other as we go through this journey together. We, we really would love for you to, to get connected that way. So if that is you, all you have to do is send us a message, comment, whatever it is. Just uh, reach out so that we can re uh, reach back. Uh, that being said, um, I'm really grateful for all y'all being a part in this series and Easy Mistakes. It's been a really fun series for me. Uh, I want to let you know that if you have it on your heart to give today, you truly make a difference in your giving. You help us to continue to reach people with the gospel message. And even on top of that, you help us to be a church for people like you. We, you help us be a church for people that have been hurt by church, for people that have never really been connected to a church before, have been to church, but never truly connected to a church never been able to be themselves at church. You help us to be that for people. And you, you especially help us to reach and connect people that have never been to church before altogether. You make a difference in your giving. And I want to just thank those of you who consistently tithe and give offerings to this church because we wouldn't be able to continue to do it without you. We love you so much. And as I always say, when it comes to giving, we never want you to feel pressured or persuaded to give when you don't want to give. It is your freedom of choice to do so. When God leads you, then great. It is amazing. But I want you to know without a doubt, you make a difference in your generosity. You can do that by either going to gravetopchurch.com, uh, Gravetop click the Give tab, you can give online, or you can give through third-party apps like Venmo or Cash App. And uh, all that being said, we're so grateful that you trust us to be good stewards of your giving, and we want to continue to uh, do our best in that. We love y'all so much. I hope that this message edified you today. I hope it encouraged your faith, and I hope it helped you find some level of freedom. We're so grateful for you guys. We love you. Bye, Gravetop family. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.